This episode brought to you by BRE Promotions. Whether you're just starting out or evolving your brand, BRE Promotions offers you expertly crafted disruptions that'll take you to the next level. BRE Promotions, we make your business shine. Visit us at brepromotions.com to schedule your free consultation. Inside the Goblin Universe, <laughs> they keep me up all night. You're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe, already in progress. Hey, Butch, it's Brian Bowden. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. Ron Murphy's on as well uh, for the Hello show. Hello there, my friend. Very nice to meet you. You know what? I've been a big fan of yours for a while now. But I think that this is the first time we have actually been together recording something. Uh, no, actually, we did uh, Existence of Strange Things together. I interviewed yes, you. That's Whoa. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> How quickly they forget, Butch. Yeah, Butch. Yes. You just turned while. fifty. You know, they, you know, you know, you know, Brian. They get they get real famous and they kind of forget where they started. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah, you, you guys are. I'm, I'm, I'm in the tail end of the fame section, but you two, you guys got it going on. But we're all, we all do this wonderful investigation stuff, and 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 write about it and talk about it, and it's just fantastic that we, you know, we can all share it with other people. Oh yeah. Well, that's you know, that's something that was. It's really just coming about again. I mean, it used to be, and then it stopped for a long, long time where the paranormal, the cryptozoology, and UFO groups, they, yeah. they shared no information with anybody, whether it was other groups, uh, you know, other researchers, or the general public, and that's, that's not a good thing. No, you know, and that's the main problem about this, and Ron and I will tell you, like, we're very much an open book, right? So we share what we got on investigations. I've, I've always shared with uh, the group that I, I I'm primarily investigate, uh, Bronxville Paranormal. And you know, it's, it's funny. No one else shares their, stu their stuff. And then anytime we share something, they always tell you, like, oh, that looks like it's fake, or the, they'll make some other story up. Um, I'm not oh, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, well, that's, 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 that's because they don't have an answer. Exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, we, you know, we, 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 when we started, when, when I started this, after I left MUFON, we started this group back in 2009. Right. And I got people all over, I got people all over the country. And we share with anybody, that, I mean, if somebody, call, I don't care what, who they are or what group they're with, they call up and they, they want information. If it's in my database, I'll give it to them. Or if they want a photograph looked at, I'll do it for them. You know, I don't charge anybody anything. Right. You know, but it's like, I mean, I remember, you know, I've been, a, I've been a fan of yours listening to, you were one of the few people that, that I hear on talking about their investigations and, you know, on the radio with, you know, you did a lot with a, a buddy of ours, a mutual friend, Arizona Tramp. Um, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, your research, I mean, you're a PA guy and you're talking to Ron, who's a PA guy. So it's like, you got to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, without the information that you provide, especially with the idea of the dogman triangle, I mean, it would be very tough going. And without a doubt, you've shared continuously uh, throughout your research. So, I mean, we are indebted to you. Well, you know, look, it, it, the whole thing is, 
you know, uh, just in our like and loop, our research area, one area uh, in particular, but Clearfield, that's 65,000 acres. <laughs> yep. You know, I'm, I look, I'm 72 years old. Yeah, I got the equipment and I'm still in good health, but I'm not walking around in 65,000 acres. Yeah, exactly. So the more, the more, the more people we can get interested, you know, in what we're looking for, you know, I'm not saying they got to go out and do it, but maybe they'll keep their eyes and ears open. Maybe they'll hear something. Maybe they'll see something. Maybe they'll get a photograph and they'll share it. And, you know, we can take it from there. Oh, you know, and, and that's how we do things. I mean, that's why, you know, I've been wanting to have you on the show for, for a long, long time. We do the Inside the Goblin Universe show, Ron and I. Ron and I also, we started doing uh, two other programs. We haven't done them yet. We're doing these things called um, uh, 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 Portals of the Paranormal, right? Is it Portals of Perception? Portals of Perception, right. Right, where people, you know, how, how people perceive things, whether it's a corporeal uh, uh, or a zoo form type of creature or, you know, a, like a spiritual thing. And then we're doing like something that's a little bit more fun, uh, something called Sideshow Safari, where... You know, a lot of the stuff we do would have been a sideshow in the past anyhow. So if we come across <laughs> something strange, like like there's a woman that has a house uh, near me in New York, and she has a statue of the Virgin Mary there that weeps. And it weeps, holy, it, it weeps oil. It's been checked and everything. They put three more statues in, they're all weeping um, with healing power. So that's something on the safari of, of you know, of, you know, uh, type of thing where you're looking at stuff and like this is really strange. It's kind of like the old in search of type of stuff. But um, and then oh yeah, I, you know that sounds. Oh yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm like, and then I also have Noble Boomy, which is mine, which stands for nobody but me. Where it's not necessarily paranormal. It's it's whatever I want. You know, whoever I want to get on there, musicians, uh, police, firemen, anybody. You know, and and just to bring out good people, so people like, look, you got to check out this guy's research or this woman's research. So. You know. Well, you know, that uh, that uh, Virgin Mary thing, uh, not too awful long back, and, and maybe Ron could re- might remember this, but up in the Pottsville area, I think it was Pottsville itself, there was a, uh, a, a, a vision of the Blessed Virgin in a window that showed up every day between wow. 1130 and 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That brought people from all over the world. It did. It, it does. I mean, they were coming. They were coming from Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. They came from the Sudan. They came from Egypt. The place was a mob, and a single researcher from Pottsville. He's yep. a police officer, but he's also a paranormal researcher. He's been one for many, many years. Right. He went. He went to look at it. He was there for fifteen minutes, figured it all out. <laughs> and what it was was there was a house across the street that had a a, a, a statue of the Virgin Mary on a dresser right inside the window. Right. When the sun when the sun hit the window on the opposite side of the street, it beamed across and hit that window, which projected it to the lower window and it was almost like a projector and it there was the there was the statue. Wow. No Now it, when when yes. the at one o'clock, at one o'clock when the sun moved <laughs> on, this, that, it all disappeared. <laughs> Magic, but you know, you know, yeah. I, unless unless someone's really taking advantage of people at that point, um, if it if it helps spiritually, is it a is it a bad thing, or do you you have to reveal? You you know what I'm saying? Like it's not like those yeah. people that are trying to do it to get you to give them money and donations. Um, right, which is really weird. One of the things about this statue is um, that I was uh, alerted to, and we're going. I'm going to the house, and I'm going to investigate. Um, 
there was a, a, a friend of mine had meningitis basically in a coma was when he was young, very young. He's been in the hospital mm-hmm. most of his young life. He went into a coma. His mother heard about this woman, went to the house, prayed. She's a very nice lady, never asked for anything, whatever. She took some, some of, the, of the oil on, on, a, on a, 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 what do you call it, a cotton ball. She brought it to the hospital. She literally just, you know, anointed him with a cross on his head. And in the next day or like within a couple hours, he woke up from the wow. coma. And he's been uh, like, he's built like a brick shit house right now. Um, but he's a great guy and he's not very religious, but he is spiritual and they can't explain it. You know what? I think there's a lot more of those stories out there that don't get told. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I've run across so many. I mean, I'm doing this for 30 years now. Now, in the cryptozoology end, I've only been at it for six years. But mostly before that, it was almost all, all everything was UFO, everything ufology yeah. and strange case persons and human mutilations and all that stuff. But I've heard these stories before where, you know, called divine providence or divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, uh, one story that really sticks in my, my head was um, it was a youngster that was hit by a car. And pretty much every bone in his body was either fractured or broken. And his life expectancy, just to get him through the operation to put him back together, they gave him, you know, pretty much just a couple months. And he'd be in traction. He wouldn't be able to talk and this, that, and the other thing. Right. And, and uh Nurse went in to check on him uh, early in the morning uh, and, and do some tests and check his meters and stuff. And he was sitting up in bed looking at her. Now, this is a kid that, like I said, pretty much every bone in his body was broken. And he looked at her and she said, what are you doing? And he said, I don't know. He said, the little girl came in the room last night. We talked for a couple hours and we watched TV together and he said the TV was not on. Right. And she just said, you'll be okay, and I'll see you later, and she left. They x-rayed this kid. <laughs> All those broken bones and fractures were now just hairline fractures. I mean, something where you, wow. you know, like you drop something on your stupid foot, you know, and uh, they had no idea. No, no idea whatsoever. There's no way this kid could have healed what he had done. You know, he, plus the fact that he, he was totally immobile. He couldn't move. Uh, and she walks in, he's sitting up in bed looking at her. That's incredible. Within and, two and- days, every fracture, every splinter fracture was gone. That's uh, incredible. Yeah. And the other thing I want to point out, too, gentlemen, is that we're mining gold right now. We probably should be recording this. We are recording this, and you know what? I figured this, this is this is why I love Butch. This is why I love you, because because <laughs> it's it's like we just jumped into the fire. So, Ron, just introduce our guest tonight, um, and then I'll I'll edit out some of the a little bit of the beginning, yeah. but we'll go into the stories, and yeah. we'll keep doing that. <laughs> right, because what I like about this flow, it's so utterly conversational. So whenever people listen to it, it's almost as if you're eavesdropping. And that's really kind of the best, you know, shows that you can have. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, what I'll do is we will just do our thing. Um, we'll say, hey, welcome to Inside the Goblin Universe. And then we'll just go right in. So, Brian, you can say what we've been talking about so far. 
Right. You know, what we'll do is, well, I'll just put it in. I'll use it as a promo snippet and then put it at the end. Um, things you didn't catch in the beginning and, and it'll be there. But th- this is fantastic. Wow. You know, we, it th- is. this is the problem. But you know, you've interviewed tons of people. Some people, it's like pulling teeth and other people can't <laughs> shut up, you know, and, and then, yeah. just, you know, and we just jump in. And that's how Ron, Ron can do that. We can just, we just jump in as if we're, you know, we're just having a regular conversation. That's what we want. So, um, welcome to the program. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So, yeah, what I'll do is I'll just give the quick intro, Brian. Yep. You and I will do a little bit of chatter, and off we go. You got it. And we'll do three, two, one, and we'll do it that way. All right, right. Three, yep. two, one. Hello again, goblins. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Goblin Universe. I am but one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. Welcome to the program, everybody. We got a great guest. Fantastic we out did- of this world. Actually, one of the best people out there involved in any kind of paranormal research. Uh, why don't you bring him on in, friend? Well, I, it, there's no uh, other introduction than uh, Butch Witowski. Butch, welcome to the program. Uh, been dying to get you on for a long time. We uh, both Ron and I, and we're just we're just going to continue what we were doing when we started, which was we were jumping into all these crazy little paranormal stories about you know sharing paranormal and miracles that happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah in, in case folks don't realize, you know, beforehand, we always talk to the guests to get a feeling of how everything, uh, the flow of the program. And it kind of just kind of became very organic into a conversation. That I think that the folks need to hear. So uh, I, I said, we just need to start, you know, start recording right now. Uh, and the good thing about Butch is, you know, you could talk to him about mythology. You can talk to him about cryptids or the paranormal. It's such an interesting guest. And, you know, it's a shame that we have to encompass, encompass this within an hour. So we 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 got to get off, guys. We got to get off to a uh, to a good start here and just keep this rolling. Yep. Well, Butch, you know what? Do us a favor for those that do not know you, and if you don't know who Butch is, you've been living in Iraq. Um, <laughs> can you give them a little bit of taste of what you've been doing and how you got involved in this? Well, first of all, it's been my pleasure, and thanks for having me on. Uh, I was um, I saw my first UFO. Uh, in 1989 uh, with a bunch of other people in my driveway in Tucson, Arizona when I was living out there. Um, Contacted everybody I could think of, you know, police department, Air Force Base, uh, news media of all types, Sheriff's Department, Tucson Police Department, Highway Patrol, everybody I could think of. Nobody's seen it, but seven people in my driveway saw it. And uh, it was huge. It was hovering above a mountain. Uh, it was about three football fields in length, had some faint green lights along the side of it, and it was a few stories high. And it just hovered there. It was very silent. There, I mean, it was dead silent. There was no noise of any type. There was no uh, electrical issues with watches or anything like that. And it just rose up and shot off into the west, and that was the last I saw of it. And I started looking, you know, into UFOs and got bored real fast because I really didn't know where to look. And there wasn't a whole lot back in 1989 uh, as far as, you know, the Internet and the information that's out there now. So when we moved back to Pennsylvania, uh, I was watching a show one night. It was about UFOs. And I thought, yeah, boy, and it just bit me. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, I started accumulating all this paper and books and information and I joined MUFON, became a, um, a chief investigator for the state of Pennsylvania, a star team member and all that stuff. But And I just didn't see getting the information that I wanted to get. I wanted to delve further. I just didn't want to, in other words, I didn't want to file a report and then move on. I wanted to, you know, if I had a report, I wanted to follow it up all the way to the end. 
So I left MUFON, started my own group, the UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania, with a group of like-minded researchers that I've met over the years. Uh, we're in 11 states and two countries overseas. Uh, we have uh, private detectives, uh, police officers, uh, about people that have been in ufology a lot longer than me. Uh, but what I got out of that was it was so neat because if I had something or I get something that comes across the desk, I can, if I, if I can't figure it out, or if I need more information, say I need something out in, uh, down in Florida. Well, I have four investigators in Florida, up and down the whole coast of Florida. Right. And I can, you know, get that information down to them, and I can share it with the rest of the group by email. So it's just like, it's like one big investigative team that just fluxes real well. And um, no, a few years back, well, four or five years ago, four years ago, uh, I got my first cryptid report. And that was of a large bipedal canine up near Clearfield, Pennsylvania, uh, in the state game land. And um, I took it. I, I didn't know what I was doing, to be perfectly honest, because I never got involved in anything like Bigfoot or any of that. And I took the information, and it was a, a thing back and forth with the gentleman a couple days. And about three or four days after that, I got another one. Guys don't know each other. This one was about 10 miles away. But the description was identical. Well, to date, to this date, till today, we have 58 reports. We found uh, quite a number of uh, historical reports in Pennsylvania of the same creature. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, the second year, I'm sorry, the first year I got involved in it, toward the beginning of the second year I was involved, I, got, I hooked up with Lon Strickler because of his knowledge with cryptids. And he's been a great help, and, you know, we bat stuff back and forth. Plus, you know, I'm a member of his uh, Fortean research team. So uh, the thing that struck me the most was with this creature, because, you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, they could exist, they couldn't exist. Well, I, I felt that way, too, until doing some background research on the creature. I found a newspaper article from 1868 in the Erie Gazette, or New Era, I forget which one it was, but long gone. I mean, it was a, just a, a local newspaper in Erie. And it was a gentleman, a farmer, reporting, making a report to a constable, which the newspaper printed. And he uh, had uh, an, an unknown animal chasing his goats or sheep, whatever it was, around, and he took a shot at it, and it took off. But his description of that creature was exactly to the T of what we have right now. Every report that we've gotten, all 58 reports, there is no variance in any of the reports. They're all the same. Large wolf head, glowing yellow eyes, massive chest, long arms with hands and claws, uh, thin-waisted, heavy-thighed, and hock legs like a dog, and no tail. And it's never been seen outside of that loop that we have. And the loop is readily available on my site and it's readily available on uh, my Facebook pages and stuff. And it's also available on phantoms and monsters. But the thing is, um, what I guess bugs me the most is when people say, well, what is it? What do you think it is? Well, I'm surely not going to stand there and say, well, it's Wolfman right. <laughs> because it's not. And, and I don't know what it is because just the description I have, I can't say it's a wolf because it's got a, a shape kind of like the man, very muscular man. And the first report we had, the guy described it as having 
the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, but being seven or eight foot tall, and this thing has been within 20 foot of gentlemen and people, and it doesn't move. It has no fear, and and they they've they've had weapons. Yep. And I've come to the conclusion that after talking to the Cherokee out in Oklahoma and finding out about skinwalkers and doing all that research, my best guess is that this is a relic. This has been here for a long time, and it's going to stay here. And, you know, when you find something from 1868 that's matching something that happened in, you know, 2003 and four and five, it's, you know, that's crazy. But the description is identical. There is no difference between description from that newspaper article and the description that we got on day one. Did, did you, so, when you did your investigation of those, um, and uh, uh, you've gone out to some of the, you know, to the areas, did you ever, mm -hmm. did you catch, I mean, besides the descriptions, which are pretty impressive that so many people are describing the same exact creature um, that probably are not connected to each other or very limited connection until after the event or something to that effect. Uh, is there any evidence that you're picking up there, like like uh, prints or impressions, claw marks, something to that effect? Well, we've chased down claw marks already, and that turned out to be the, uh, the we found the prints. It was a bear. Um, one of the more interesting ones was, uh, it was right inside the loop, but more toward the east end of Pennsylvania, east end of the loop. And it was a, a bright full moon. And the lady actually ran into me up at um, uh, the Bigfoot camping event the first year that uh, it was held up there in uh, Benner's uh, court. Uh and we'll be there this and, year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, well, and the thing is that, you know, it was a bright full, she said it was a bright full moon. She actually searched me out there. And um, she said it was a bright full moon. She said it was so bright. She said, I just went out on the front porch to, to look. And she said, I have a pond at, not too far from the front porch. And she said this creature was standing there looking into the pond. And she said, like, it didn't notice me. She said, it just kept staring into the pond. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it probably never saw itself. It's <laughs> like a mirror. Yeah. And um, so uh, I asked her for the description. Right on the money. No different. And she has not seen any of the old reports. She just heard that this guy from Pennsylvania is looking into a wolf man. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that I was, and I was going to be at the Bigfoot camping adventure. And, uh, she doesn't live too far from there, from Farmington. And, um, I mean, that's the way it happens. Yeah, you know, it's, one of the, we were, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, you know, one of the things, uh, this is my first year there going up to the Bigfoot Camping uh, uh, Adventure Weekend. Ron's been there, I think, a couple times. And we're going yeah. to try to do a night investigation up there. And, the, um, <laughs> you know, looking for Bigfoot. I know that there's, I mean, for my research, there's always been a correlation. If you have Bigfoot in the area, there's a really good shot. You're going to have these creatures. A lot of them call Wolfman. Some people say Dogman. We don't know what it is, but they pretty much correlate. They're going to be near each other. So um, we don't care. I don't carry any firearms because I unfortunately I live in a communist state called New York City. Um, and they don't understand that the second Second Amendment is shall not be infringed. But I, I got to well, be if honest. You, if you, I wouldn't go if up you walk your, one of these. I'm sorry. If you walk yourself over to my van, I'll hook you up. <laughs> well, I may be doing that. But um, what I do find is, 
and you, I think you told the story now, we're gonna, and I'm going to ask you to tell it again if it's correct, but um, after listening to your story, I do carry uh, two, two machetes on me and a couple of, uh -huh. of survival knives. And uh -huh. from the research that I've done with Native Americans in the past that are very aware of what this creature was in the area, and, and some will call it some other, you know, label it, but it's basically the same creature. Um, Native Americans know weapons like a firearm is, is just going to, you're just going to piss it off. But I, I think right. the way to go is, first of all, don't try to confront this creature. You're going to lose. No. If there's one in front of you, there's one sneaking up behind you. It's a guarantee. They don't work single. Um, they're usually very close to each other. There's pairs. and But there seems to be some kind of respect for someone that has a long blade versus a shotgun. And I think that's because even though the shotgun will penetrate you, that blade will cut you in half. And that's a harder wound to kind of get back out of. Yeah, I was, when I talked to the Cherokee about it, I was they, they, they warned me off the right off the get go that not to carry firearms. And I explained to him, I said, well, you know, I carry a uh, only at night, not during the daytime, but at night uh, in camp. We we have a couple of them that guys that are walking around camp have, and they're, they're basically they're a, a police grade uh, paintball gun, right? But they shoot they shoot a hard rubber. Uh, 68 caliber projectile. It's all air. Uh, I mean, you can you can kill somebody with it, but uh, what we've loaded into them is we have um, the first two shots are like talcum powder. Right. It's like a very sticky talcum powder. They use the same type of gun at zoos when the animals get crazy. Right. And then the next two shots are ghost gas, pepper gas. Right. And uh, it'll 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 stop a bear. It'll stop a lion in its tracks. So, I mean, that's what we carry. But when we're around camp, and, and you'll see even when I'm up there at Farmington, I'll have a knife on my hip. Um, it's just something that, you know, that's Fayette County. <laughs> Bigfoot yeah. Central. It but is. It we is. Were just, I was on, I was on yeah. a radio show last night. We were, we were talking about this a little bit. And, and this is very strange. And I, I want to bring it up because I, I, I know Ron really gets into this stuff, uh, Bigfoot-wise. But we've been tracking... Um, Bigfoot reports inside of our loop, our research loop, the lichen loop. And before the uh, sightings of this bipedal canine was up, we had, I'm not going to say a whole lot of Bigfoot reports in that area, but there were Bigfoot reports. And some were Class B, some were Class, some were class A. But I'm going to say, just for, for giggles, uh, there were 10. Since this first report of this creature... Do you know how many reports we've gotten inside that same loop? Of the big zero. Thing. Yeah, zero. Right. Well, right. not one, not one. There, there is again through my own personal research, what what apparently takes place is the the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call them, and the dogmen, werewolves are they know each other, they're aware of each other, and uh, for the most part, you stay on your side of the road. And I'm going to right. stay on my side of the road. They kind of respect each other. Now, there are times in history where they have, you know, converged, and it's never been a good outlook, you know, good outcome for anybody. Uh, but I think they, they will not go in your, your liking loop uh, well, because they just, you know, they know it's, it's like starting a war. Well, as a researcher, this makes, you know, great scientific sense. Uh, and one of the things that keeps me on, keeps me going, because, you know, two apex predators could not, could, you know, cohabit uh, the same area. So I think that what we see here is, is something very, um, 
logical happening that two apex predators uh, are, are are fighting for a particular uh, area and and this dogman creature is, is coming out on top for whatever reason um, now as as because this is one of my favorite cryptids it's like the new cryptid on the block even though um, as you have said my friend that uh, you know the, the reports go back such a long period of time here in Pennsylvania so we're talking about you you came up with the uh, a great uh, term and that was a relic from something, whether it's a relic from the Pleistocene, some sort of, you know, animal that should have went extinct with a mammoth, or maybe yeah. even some type of human being that, that has been able to uh, to um, withstand, you know, the, the, the passages of the eons and continue with us uh, to this very day. Now, what are your thoughts concerning um, actual... Um, you know, and, and whenever we talk about this kind of stuff, you don't want to seem so far afield that it's something from the sci-fi channel, but something involving transformation. That's look. That's very possible. I mean, on one occasion, uh, and that was in Blair County, uh, uh, the two gentlemen, uh, both musicians, are uh, music teachers. Not I mean, well, musicians, but they were music teachers coming home from work. One lives close to the other, so they ride together, and he's on Route Twenty Two. And if you're familiar with that, it goes up toward the, the state forest at the top of the hill. Right. Black See, I'm in, I'm, a, yeah, I'm in Westmoreland County, and one of the reasons why I don't leave Pennsylvania is because it's so rife with uh, the paranormal. Uh, Route 22 right now from my house where I'm, where I'm doing this show is only about three miles away. Um, so I, I, I know where all these things are, so I get very excited whenever you talk about these things. I'm sorry about cutting you off, but I wanted to give our listeners a quick No, that's okay. <laughs> But anyway, so so they're on 22 and they're going, they're heading home, and uh, there's a spot there on 22 where you make a really really sharp turn. We've been there and met with these guys, but you make this really really sharp turn, and then it climbs up a hill, and it's, it's a pretty steep hill at the top, maybe over the top, maybe a mile. You hit the hit the uh, forest, but as he came around the corner and got straight, he saw something hunched down on the outside of the guardrail, and it looked like it was um, something was working on a, a deer kill. A, a roadkill. And as he got closer, when his lights hit it, it stood up. And uh, hence, of course, the same description. And it just kept staring at him. And he swerved out into the left lane. And when he started to go out in the left lane, this thing looked, his description now, not mine, he said it looked like it had an aura around it, a silverish aura. Now, granted, that could have been his high beam headlights when he turned them on. But Nothing else had that aura around it. So that kind of relates back to what you just said about what these things could or could not be. At this point, um, I'll throw another story in there that kind of falls right into what you're saying. The Boy Scouts are camping at a, at a, at a mountain campground uh, up in central Pennsylvania. And it's one of those weekends where they bring all the kids in to uh, learn how to do certain skills and get their badges. And um, there's a husband and wife team. The boy, uh, the husband's up with one, the older group at the top of the hill, uh, uh, and uh, the wife is with a, the younger boys down at the bottom of the hill. And uh, everybody's retiring for the evening. Fires are out now, and she's in her tent, and she hears something walking around outside the tent. And she yells out thinking it's her husband and she doesn't get an answer. And then it kind of goes away. 
and she gets back laid down again. Well, now something is kind of scratching at the tent, like trying to get to the zipper. And she yells for her husband. Uh, and he comes down, and she tells him what's going on. He looks around. He doesn't see anything at all. So the husband starts heading back to his end of the camp. And the uh, one of the camp managers for the park there uh, calls her name. Now, she's never met him. He doesn't know her. She doesn't know him. Never saw him before. And she opens the screen to her tent, and there stands a, uh, a very tall gentleman uh, who's indigenous, um, Lackawanna, I believe. And, uh, I'm sorry, Susquehannock, I believe, and um, asked her what the problem was. And she kind of relayed the story to him, and she turned around to point where her husband is. Once she turned around, he wasn't there anymore. So in the morning, they got a hold of the people that managed that property, and they were asking about this guy who works there, is, you know, the indigenous guy, the Susquehannock Indian. And they said, we don't have anybody that works here like that. <laughs> oh, that'll make you feel good when you're going to sleep the next night. <laughs> you know, I would, I would have been, I would have been packing up the van. <laughs> oh, I would have. You know what? I, I, I'm not one of those guys that are afraid to, you know, or shy about like we gotta go, you know, because that's it. It's the it's the right response. But um, so this takes me to um a little bit of the Native American influence in what's going on here in their history. Butch, when you were talking to the Cherokee out there, I mean, this is this is very uh, reminiscent of like you know Skinwalkers, uh, Wendigo, you know these type of Transformers, like like Ron, you were just mentioning. Do you think? I mean, this guy not ever working there. Do you think possibly this creature was able to transform itself into this, um, materialize into a human being, a native uh, human being, and he literally opened the tent and you know, it, it was the same creature? Do you think that's possible? Well, anything's possible, but when I talked to them out there, they were very they were very informative, and they enlightened me a lot because I told them flat out, I said, I know nothing about this. I don't know anything about wild men. I don't know anything about bipedal canines, wolf men, wendangos, or anything like that, other than the little things I've read. And the guy actually spent an hour on the phone with me, and he told me what to look for, how to identify them, uh, their characteristics, how they act. And he said it sounded to him like not so much skinwalker, but we may be encountering a watcher or a guardian. Yep. Now, when you look at, when you look nice. at a map of Pennsylvania, uh, and Ron can vouch for all of this, I mean, we had no white men in this area before the 1750s. This was all Indian territory. The, the, the Pennsylvania is full of burial grounds, battlefields, uh, where I was living in. I just moved. I, I, I bought a, a bigger house because I ran out of room. Uh, so I'm not in Lancaster area anymore. I'm in the Berks County area. But in Lancaster, we, I mean, there were, we tracked down seven burial mounds in Lancaster. Uh, Berks County, we have a ton of them here. Uh, down in Ole Valley, they got like five or six where battles took place. Albertus, Pennsylvania, at the Albertus Foundry, where the foundry was built, that big field in the back was a, a, doc, a very well-documented battle uh, between the Susquehannock and um, 
uh, Mohawk, where a lot of Braves were killed. And um, so it's, it's one of those things where, so could we be dealing with, you know, a supernatural being that is guarding certain areas? Possible, because ours does not leave that area. It doesn't leave that loop. Although the loop is very big, you're talking about 300 and I forget, thousand some square eight miles uh, of acre, acreage. Yep. But uh, could, it, could it be a watcher? Could it be a guardian? Absolutely. I mean, stranger stories than this have come out over the years with guardians and, and watchers at, at battle sites. Mm. Uh, the Brown Mountain Lights down North Carolina, we've been down there and investigated those. There's the same story there. You had a battle on top of the mountain on top of Brown Mountain between the Cherokee and, and, a, and a, another group of Indians uh, and a, a, a loss of many, many braves. And, of course, the old story goes that the lights you see at night are the families looking for their brothers and mothers and sisters and brothers. Everybody, bodies were thrown over the side of the mountain. So those stories do exist. They are, they are some of them are well-documented. Uh, there's actually a map of Pennsylvania with the locations of all the various uh, Indian tribes that lived here. We had Mohawk, we had Susquehannock, we had Iroquois, we had Delaware. They were all at war with each other. They all hated each other. Uh, Susquehannock ran uh, from damn near Philadelphia all the way out past Harrisburg. That was their area. And they were, the thing that struck me was when, when he said, you know, about this guy at the tent being Susquehannock. They were the tallest of all the Indians ever. They were taller than the Apache, the Cherokee, uh, Comanche, uh, Iroquois, Mohawk. They were very tall, very muscular. And they ran through that whole Lancaster County Valley. I mean, and we've had a lot of strange cases up there. Um, One of the things I want to ask you, now that we got that going right there, and the fact that they were taller... So one of the things that we, Ron and I have been investigating a lot is the Native Americans of the country, uh, earth mounds, but also sacred mounds in, in places. And mm-hmm. I've come across a lot of information because I used to study Native American history, um, actually when I went to university, UMass. Um, I, I'm just fascinated with the, 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 you know, the variety and, and, and everything that goes back from the oral histories. But there seems to be a large correlation um, between Native Americans and what they would classify as um, different giants. And I know we're getting into a gray area here, but uh, they're talking about giants, double row teeth, uh, yeah. red hair, and then there were even taller mm-hmm. ones that, that, that were in the area. Now, that combined with also UFO uh, experiences or what the Natives would, would classify as people from you know the heavens, do you, you ever come across stuff like that in your research? Uh, no, but I'll tell you this. When we investigate any of these bipedal canines, that's one of the, our questions. Has anything strange, did you see anything strange in the sky before, during, or after the event? And we haven't had a positive answer to that yet. Yeah. Um, when, so, I went, and, and in your investigation of, of let's say, the, instead of the, the lichen loop, if, if you go with the Bigfoot investigations, you ask that same question. Do you see it? Do you get a different response? Like, yes, we've, we saw some lights or um, there was something strange in the sky? Only one time. And, and that was um, actually I was with 
uh, a paranormal group that invited me to go along. Like I said, I don't never did anything paranormal, any investigations, right. and I wanted to see how I wanted to see how it was done, what kind of equipment they used, how they do it, and I got invited along. It was a local group, and um, that was one of the questions they asked also. And the guy said, As a matter of fact, he said not. Last night, he said, but the night before last, you know, they described what they saw in the, in, in the western sky. And um, I had gotten some information not very long uh, after that where I was contacted by a paranormal group uh, there in South Carolina. And uh, they, they heard us talking on radio. I, I think it was the existence of strange things. We were talking to somebody about uh, stuff like that. And they asked me what I thought, and they started telling me what the problem was. So their story was, or their investigation was, that uh, it's a very large property. Uh, there's uh, a, a large family. There's three homes on the property, and then there's a, an, out, an outlier that's still on the property. That was an aunt's home. She lived there by herself till she died. Nope, they never did anything with the house. They just closed it up. They shut the electric off, you know, did all that kind of stuff, and the, the house is basically abandoned. Uh, in the other three houses, you have the rest of the family living. It's a uh, husband, you know, wives, kids all over the place. So they com- were starting to complain that lights were going on in the house, and they had mentioned it to somebody who mentioned it to this paranormal group. Well, they get an investigation going, and they go to the house. So uh, they're outside getting ready to go in, and they can see um, – you know, lights in the house, like somebody's walking through the house with a flashlight, but the house is, they didn't even open the door yet. They're still outside. So then the light goes out. So they, they've gone back to this house a number of times. They see the light, they photograph the light, they've done sound tests inside, outside pictures, you know, the whole nine yards did their thing. And the guy said to me, he says, do I find that strange? I said, yeah, I find it strange, <laughs> but next time you, next time you go out, I said, just just humor me a little bit and have somebody stay outside and watch the sky. Let me know if you see anything in the sky. Because I've heard of these stories before. Right, right. And the guy says, what are, he says, what am I looking for? I said, anything that's strange. I said, if, you know, if you're looking at the moon, that's not strange. It belongs there. But if you, if you start seeing these lights and your people inside the house are radioing you out on the radio to you outside saying we got lights and you can see lights in the house. Watch the sky. Let me know if anything happens. Well, I didn't hear anything for a couple months. And I got this really nice long email. <laughs> it's probably about 18 pages long. They described everything they did. Wow. And sure enough, sure enough, about an hour and a half into this, this, this uh, investigation at about 1.30 in the morning, uh, they actually came outside to take a break. And uh, they were outside, like, drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, whatever they took their break doing. And the one guy said, look, and he's looking up at the sky and nobody was paying attention to the house, but the cameras were inside and outside. And when they reviewed the film, they had some video of this object, which was basically to them, they said an orangish, reddish looking yellowish orb. And it just kind of really slowly moved across the sky, but right directly above the house. And, you know, and I said, okay. And then he said, when we started viewing our stuff from the cameras, when we went back in, the lights were moving around the house. (laughs) Wow. The time stamp stamp on the video, I don't remember what it was. I'm just going to say 9 o'clock. The time stamp said 9 o'clock on both the camera outside and the camera he was using to video the orb. 
So they continued on, and uh, I think they had one more deal uh, where they seen something in the sky. I think it was uh, further behind, you know, behind and off to the left looking at the house, but it was there. There was something in the sky. And uh, he says, you know, they, nothing happened after that. No more lights, nothing in the sky anymore. So that was the end of the investigation. Of course, they couldn't rationalize any of it, what, what it was, but they're kind of now looking at it like, uh, you know, our space brethren injected some divine intervention, you know. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, one of the things is that I find that a lot of researchers, the simple things are misplaced. Like, uh, when we go on an investigation uh, on these bipedals, we actually look for stuff that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Of course, you look for the, you look for the normal stuff, of course. Hair, scat, footprints, this, that, and the other. But we also take really a lot of care in looking for something that should not be there, like a bone. I'd love to get a bone. Because I can, I have, I have the jaws here of a of a large wolf, and it's uh, a Canadian uh, gray. And if I can match those up to uh, teeth marks and a bone, I'm dealing with a wolf. But if I can't match those up, and the bite marks on that bone are much larger, longer, and wider, could be our boy. Yeah, you know, and one of the things when you talk about evidence and what it's not there, that's a great way of, of doing things. And a lot of times people just overlook it because they just, it could be something very normal and simple that you would consider normal, like, um, you know, a piece of a wrapper or, or something else, uh, you know. And they, you got to take notes on everything that's there. One of the things I, I always question is when you have some of these researchers that are going into the field and they're getting hair samples, okay, or scat. Now, um, and they, they send it for testing, okay? Sometimes it comes back, you know, it's most, you're going to get some animals there, deer, bear, uh, probably coyote, whatever. But if you, and you'll get human hair. A lot of times you get human response to that. Now, yes. one of the problems we have here is if, if this creature Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch, has, is, is part of the human chain, throughout time you know like is it the relic from from that you know the the, the human dna it's going to have human characteristics to it um yes so when you're doing the test and it comes up well no we didn't we didn't find any bigfoots but we found uh, you know some human hair or whatever it was just it just came back human it doesn't necessarily mean that you know it was an actual human being you could have actually given that could have come from from one of these cryptids or creatures, and because there's certain characteristics or DNA that we share, and it, it it just pops up. Most of these guys that are doing these tests, they do. I have a buddy that does stuff like this. They do for DNA. They do for uh, biopsies and everything. And I said, do you go the extra mile? He goes, I don't have time to go the extra mile. I do a standard test. If X, Y, and Z comes up, I know it's cancer. If it's, it's and if not, then you're fine. And and, yeah. and okay. that's that's the problem we have. We have that like we don't know, and what we don't know is actually hurting us. Um, but I love the fact that, that there was a correlation UFOs. Ron, we had Stan Gordon on, right? And he was talking about UFOs and a woman in a cabin off the off the grid. And he he was teak. This is the first time um, that I really saw more of the correlation 
through his research and what he was presenting, how the people see craft and the next thing you know, they're seeing a Bigfoot on the ground. Um, they're, they're, I, I don't know if these videos are fake, but I've seen a couple of video ev uh, evidence of what would be classified as a wolf, bipedal wolf, with um, what really looks like an alien on its shoulder or its back. Um, yeah. It, there, there's a lot of gray areas in this. Uh, whenever you talked about the house that was, uh, you know, supposedly haunted by some sort of light and then people witnessing orbs outside, there is this gray area that people are just now starting to, if not record, at least not throwing out. Because, Butch, I'm sure right. that you've met a lot of people. I mean, we've been in this field for a while. If it does not match up with the paradigm that they're out for, they'll just discard it and not report it or think that it's rubbish and you know, toss it away. But now the people recording this stuff, we are seeing a broad scope of what the paranormal means. You know, are we dealing with extraterrestrials? Are we dealing with ghosts? Are we dealing with fairy creatures even? Like, Fayette County, you know, the name itself means Little Ferry, and that place has been inundated since its very inception by the strange yeah. and unusual. So I think that if we take everything into account when we talk about the paranormal, when we talk about Bigfoot, when we talk about extraterrestrials and ghosts and dogmen, they seem to be all rather interconnected at the end of the day. They seem to be much more closer uh, in, in, in relativity than distant. Oh yeah, well you know, you know, years ago everything was defined. The UFO was the ufology, paranormal was paranormal, and and cryptozoology was cryptozoology. And I believe that too, up until say the last five, six, seven years, where I truly believe that if it's all connected somehow, there, 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 there's a connection. The, these these three genres are all connected to each other. How, why, or for whatever reason, there's just too many similarities that don't make any sense. There are. But, there if, are. You, if, but if you put them in your head and say, like, well, maybe they're combined, it starts to make sense. But right. people, there's a lot of people out there that still think, like, okay, I'm a ufologist. Well, there's no such thing. Or I'm a cryptozoologist, there's <laughs> another one. Or I'm a, you know, I'm a paranormal investigator or whatever. But... Trying to teach or tell these people to keep an open mind is tough. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. It, it's exceedingly <laughs> Yeah, my friend Dave Scott of uh, Spaced Out Radio, um, he sent me a picture not too long ago, about a month ago, of an investigation into a haunted house up in um, Western Canada. And inside that house, one of the investigators took a picture of what appears to be some sort of ethereal being, you know, a ghost, what have you. Uh, but the being did not look like an apparition of a human being. It looked uh -huh. as if it were a transparent gray. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 So these kind and, of strange things happen. Well, you know, I, I, I just reminded me, I do Scott's show on this coming Monday. Ah. Uh, but... <laughs> Oh right! Yes. I've been I've been I've been on that show now. I think three years every Monday, last Monday of the month for three years now. But uh, I mean, there's some really strange stories that come out of. Yeah, there, there's, there's there's some really really strange stories that come out of of British Columbia. I mean, um, uh, the things that they see up there, missing persons, uh, disappearances. I mean, there's so much stuff going on up there. But if you yeah. go like if you head the other way, if you head east 
into, into Canada. It kind of simmers down when you get around the Quebec area, Montreal. Uh, but when you're out there in British Columbia and up through there with all the indigenous that's in that area, I mean, boy, uh, I'll tell you what. Being an investigator up there, you'd be running 24-7. <laughs> you oh, you yeah. definitely would. See, but this is the correlation. This is the connection. You know, it's it's. I, I never, you know... We've we've had this discussion a thousand times. When I was growing up in the you know in the seventies, when this wasn't readily available like it is now, um, I got it from In Search of and what have you, and everything pointed to the Pacific Northwest, which would be that area, mm-hmm. okay? But mm-hmm. you know, and it was everything was separated, like Loch Ness and those monsters are monsters, and then there's UFOs, then there's ghosts. But I, um, over time, I'm seeing a, a huge connection between indigenous people. Um, UFOs and these cryptids and also um, another connection of interdimensional abilities because one investigation we had up in Nuclear Lake in New York um, we had literally a very large bipedal in really close to us trying to get us out of the area there Um, and the you know whooping uh, bluff charge you name it. I mean, one guy started to run, and we, we stood our ground, and eventually it left. He kind of got frustrated. Like, these guys aren't going to be scared off. You know, we're going to go. But it moved literally from point A, which is probably about 30 feet from where we were standing in the dark. We didn't catch it on any type of spectrum camera, full spectrum, infrared, nothing. Um, even lighting. You know, we put lights up, nothing. And it moved from that point to about a mile down the road in, in literally, butch, I'm telling you, under a second. And the only way that something like that can be even possible, there's two ways. That there was another creature a mile down the road, which is plausible, or it was the same creature and it did something where it, it slipped into a different area dimension to be able to travel faster. And that gets into the scientific side of what, my, what I investigate. When I do investigations, I'm always trying to, you know, get a little, you know, trying to put a little quantification on it. Um, I have yet to, but that opened up my eyes to the possibility of the talk, and I couldn't believe I was saying it, that a lot of these creatures, even the dogmen, these werewolves that can travel and just disappear, maybe being able to open up a portal or, or travel into different, you know, dimensions. Um, I don't know if yeah, you've ever that's, come that's- across that. But that's very possible. I mean, you know, although we have gained a lot of knowledge, investigative knowledge and research knowledge over all these years, <clears throat> there are still a lot of basic questions that we can't answer. And um, uh, just for instance, there, uh, and this, this came out of, uh, this was Washington State, I believe. Yeah, it was Washington State. <clears throat> professional photographer, been a professional photographer all his life. That's what he's done for a living all his life. But he's kind of a Bigfoot buff. And uh, an area where there had been numerous sightings of, of a Bigfoot, uh, in, uh, not too far from where he lived, about 100 miles. So he went on his vacation, went up there, and he set up his best camera equipment and, and in the area, and it was like an open field and, you know, uh, just small tree line. And now this guy knows what he's doing with a camera, and he's not using a, a, a Kodak Brownie out there. I mean, this guy's using a six thousand uh, dollar DSLR, right? And and uh, uh, so uh, he sees something. He takes the shots. He gets back. He goes through and looks at all the stuff he took. You can see uh, a blur in the middle of the film. 
And aside of it, on both sides of this blur, there's a tree on one side and a, a, some kind of bush on the other side. The camera was so good and it was so clear, it actually, you could see the veins and the leaves on that bush. And you could see the bark structure on that tree. But the object he was shooting at dead center, which was allegedly a Bigfoot, was blurred out. Now, two things bother me. One, do they have the ability to, um, say, disrupt a, a, a camera, a, you know, a digital camera, or, or even a film camera, I guess? Uh, do they have uh, the ability to uh, disrupt a flur? I don't think so. Not a flur, because a flur, nothing hides from a flur because it works off a of heat. It's temperature, you know. So right. you're going to see heat or cold, even though you may not make out the eyes and nose and lips and all that stuff. You're going to see the form. One hundred percent. And we, uh, you know, we have four that we carry in the truck at all times. Uh, flur devices. They're all we bought. Got them all from Flur. They're the, be- the best you can buy. Uh, not the very, very best because I can't afford that kind of crap. But, uh, <laughs> Me neither. You know, they're, they're 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 waterproof. If you guys are coming, I'll be. I'll have the truck up at the at the uh, thing. Uh, you guys can come over and go through the truck. Cannot wait. Uh, cannot but, wait. But the 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 thing is, with our bipedal canines. Now, this only happens with guys that had weapons. Okay. Uh, we've had a uh, weapon being carried by a hunter. We had a uh, weapon, uh, actually, weapon being carried by two hunters, a uh, weapon being carried by a park ranger, and a weapon being carried by a hiker. All, all weapons, all firearms that came in contact with this thing. Even though they had a very powerful weapon in their hand, they all related the same thing. Something was just telling me don't shoot or this is going to get really bad really quick yep and you're not going to survive and you're not going to survive yep so these guys and especially with the first one where the they went back the next day got three of his buddies together they all loaded up their rifles and went looking for this thing they only got into the woods 25 yards when they all stopped and had that same thing go through their head you need to leave yep. or something yep. bad is going to happen and yep. they had left it, it, this, so, is, this is the stories, but this is exactly the reports you get from people, specifically with the canine creature, uh, the cryptid, you mm-hmm. know, the dogman. These people always have, a lot of people have nightmares after this. They're, like this thing invades their brain and, and their dreams, and it has an ability, like a telepathic ability. And mm-hmm. you know what? That's a great, you know... Look, I, I, I've come up against the, something that was pretty large sitting there maybe 30 yards out, and I'm peeing in front of it, marking my territory. And when you do that in front of a dog, that's pretty much telling them I'm the, I'm the alpha here. So it was a little bit crazy. There was a lot more to this, this story. But i got to be honest, if, if, if I had my druthers, I'd rather come up against a, a, a Sasquatch or Bigfoot versus any type of these bipedal uh, uh, canines. Right. And, and Yeah, and... and- and it's funny because, you know, when you talk about the bipedals, you know, the, the, the ones that have been described to us in those 58 reports that we have, and you look at those like Bray Road and out in western Pennsylvania, the descriptions are totally different. That's they're right. smaller. That's right. They're smaller. They're more canine-like. They drop the four, they'll, they'll run off on four legs. 
they have long, bushy tails. Their coats are different. Some have multicolored. Some are just, uh, uh, you know, they'll have like uh, more of a canine snoot. They have floppy ears, uh, you know, almost like a feral dog. This guy here, his description looks nothing like that. And he's never, ever been seen on all fours, ever. Mm. Even when we went back to the, uh, uh, the, the, the newspaper clipping from 1868, the guy said he ran off on two legs. Now, he was being shot at, but he ran off on two legs. Now, if he would have been, uh, a, you know, a, a true canine like a dog, I, you know, he would have dropped and went. But, this, you know, it, I just, I'm, I'm trying to put together, you know, what comes out of Bray Road and those reports out in Western PA and, and Virginia and Ohio, and they're not matching up with what we got. This, this guy here, always yellow eyes. Yep. You go to Western Pennsylvania, they got red eyes. They got, you know, yellow eyes. They got green eyes. They got all kinds of eyes. Our guy all the time has yellow eyes. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's very interesting because it um, anytime you, you hear these stories, uh, the ones that I really, that, that perk up for me are the yellow-eyed ones versus the, the other ones of Bray Road. And, and you know, there, there's this, this talk that there's seven different types of variants of this creature. Uh, going from the the full canine, you know, stand bipedal standing up there like puffing its chest to something that looks like a hyena or an orangutan. I mean, there could be uh, uh, deformities in some of these creatures, and some can be more aggressive than the other. But one one of the thing that is very interesting is compared to a Bigfoot, how smart these things are, and and they oh, yeah. and they purposely will mess with people. Like when you were mentioning the woman in the tent. Um, there's always a report, uh, uh, someone we know up in New York, in New York State, the uh, Bigfoot of the Hudson Valley. She, w- she woke up in the th- at 3 in the morning, and her back door and her front door bell were going off. And this is a classic <laughs> maneuver of this creature. They tr- I don't know if they're trying to get in, or like a vampire, they have to get permission to come in. But it's almost like they're purposely messing around with people and saying, yeah, I can kill you anytime I want, but I think I'd rather just have some fun with you. You know, well, you know, we've interviewed we've interviewed big guys. I mean, big strong guys, big guys, where they just broke down crying while they're telling us the story. Yep. One guy yep. got yep. so one guy got so upset and faint that he had to sit down in my truck, or he was going to fall over. Now, the one report that is just amazing to me, uh, like you said, play games, uh, a, a, a state game warden and his buddy go to one of the parks in central PA and the park is putting in other state is actually putting a walking trail. So they, they did a big dugout, you know, as you come in. So you, there's a parking area, kind of rough made parking area. Then you go up a couple of wooden steps. And what they did was they just cleared a walking path. It's about eight foot wide and it goes all the way and kind of makes a loop and comes back down, but it's kind of like a nature walk, you know, and he just decided with his buddy one Saturday, they're going to go up there and they're going to see the progress, how it's coming along. Now, it has been finished, but at that point, it was only about half finished. So he parks the truck. They go out there. He's carrying his 40 Glock, his state-issued handgun. And as they start walking up, up this trail, he hears something walking to the right behind him. And he really doesn't pay any attention. He said, it kind of sounded like a deer, you know. 
And he looked back. He didn't see anything. He said, eh, maybe it's a bear, but I just, you know, just keep his ears open, you know, and they're walking. And it's still behind them on the right-hand side. So they finally get to the end, which is like about a quarter of a mile in. And they see that, you know, there's no stone down or anything like that. They're still clearing brush. So they're looking around. He's calling. You know, they're talking about, well, it's pretty neat. It's going to be nice when they get it all finished and all that stuff. You know, they're going to have little plaques up that describe what type of tree this is, what type of bush this is. You know, it's like a little nature thing. So they turn around and start to head back. Now this thing is on the right-hand side behind them again. But it's heavier. It's, it sounds heavier going through the brush. Right. So he stops. He stops. He turns around. Now he's thinking it might be a bear, so he's going to be real cautious now, and he's unsnapped his holster. He's got the gun, you know, his hand on the gun, and it stops. They start going. Stops again. Starts going. Starts again. He stops. It stops. He goes about 20 paces, and he stops, and he turns around. What do you think is standing in the middle of his trail behind him? <laughs> a bipedal cryptid <laughs> yep smack dab in the middle of the trail just standing there staring at him yep his description again was exactly like everybody else's so him and his buddy like step it up they don't hear anything following them but they step it up to get back to the truck they get down that little parking area they get in the truck he looks up on the other embankment and there at the tree line and stood there staring at him no. he never heard it he never heard it go past him yep well, that's, that's the problem we have here now. There have been reports that these things can leap 60 feet in the air. Uh, and I, that's exaggeration, maybe. But, you know, they could travel above you quicker than you could travel below you. And you, if your adrenaline's racing, you're not even paying attention. But Well, that's, there's only one. There might, they might be, there might be more than one at the same time, you know. It's, it's just that they're, they are the brashest and boldest uh, of these cryptids that are out there. And I know it's the new flavor. They show no fear. Oh, they have oh, no, zero, zero fear. No fear. Yeah. Um, no fear. You know what? I, I don't, I don't, you know, again, um, I don't know. When you were talking about the, the, the photographer with the blur and stuff, one of the things that I've, I've kind of like, I've been catching in a lot of the research and everybody says the same thing. How come it's always blurry? I'd run into those woods. Let me tell you, pal, you're not running into any of those woods. And if you do, you're an idiot. But I have a feeling that... Um, these creatures have an ability, including the Sasquatch primarily, have an ability to use infrasound to just to, to create almost like a, a camouflage around them. And um, there are different. Well, uh, if they can do that, if they can do that, they can create white noise, which would disrupt the camera. Well, that's my point, and I think that's what they're doing. And and the only time that they do this is when they know they are aware that you're there. On the cameras there, um, they do this with with game cameras. They well, because they can see at night like we can't, and then it's kind of like the infrared uh, of a baby monitor. The reason why you see in the dark is because it's using these, you know, the infrared changing the spectrum, and the camera's picking right. it up. Um, so imagine a creature that could see that. Like, what the hell is that big light over there? Oh, it's one of those. You know, they're pretty wow. smart. Um, but I think what they do is when they're aware you're there and they know and I think they know what cameras are and they know what equipment is and because they've seen it, um, they, they know how to camouflage from it. This is the difference between the Patty video where they probably didn't really come across human beings as much in that area and she, it or she was trying to get the hell out of there and maybe just 
you know, you scared the hell out of that creature. But right. one of the videos that I always point to is they have the eagle cam, and I think it's in the Pacific Northwest where they're looking at eagle's nest. And in one of the videos, you see down there, and you can see down to the bottom, you know, of, of, of the, the, the forest, you see what looks like a monkey playing around. And it's a pretty, clear, you know, clear video there. Um, yeah. it's, it's not the greatest camera, but, and I always point to that, I say, look, this creature had no clue that there's a video camera that high up in, the, in, in there. So it has no reason to start putting on the infrasound and creating the vibe around it. But um, I think not only do the Bigfoots use it, I think also these, these dogmen use it um, as well because yeah, it, they just disappear. Yeah, it, yeah, infrasound makes perfect sense to me, uh, and it's it's nothing. Uh, this is nothing that's made up. We we know that you know a lot of different mammals make. We think of whales and dolphins particularly, but there are a lot of terrestrial animals that use infrasound as well, like elephants. So this isn't something mm -hmm. that's far fetched. And for an animal oh, no. to be able to adapt this, you can be territorial without confrontational. You can keep anything out of your area simply by laying down this this sound and once projected it can instill whatever kind of thoughts in you that your body reacts with um i know there yep. was a study done by msnbc because infrasound has a military component and one of the feelings that you get is the feeling of what they deem a feeling of the paranormal that something is out of place and that's a perfect thing for an animal such as you know either dogman or bigfoot to be able to uh, project to get something out of their area. Now, another thing concerning the white noise that you brought up there, Butch, and the other thing about the idea of uh, of uh, appearing on video, um, it's interesting that the patty was uh, taken on um, on film. And so there might be something to be said about digital uh, cameras and the ability to um, somehow. Um, uh, you know, project onto that or, or break that kind of thing up. Um, but yeah. I keep on alluding back to the idea of glamour. Uh, I, I just wrote a book entitled On Fairies, which will be out uh, fairly soon, as a matter of fact. Uh, Rosemary Island, Alan Galley is going to actually be publishing it. And the release date for that will be uh, June 21st. But we are going to have a, um, a conference copy coming up here uh, very shortly for the conferences before that time. Um, but I keep on looking to this idea of glamour, the idea that there are certain type of elemental creatures out there that can produce this feeling or this kind of projection of something other than itself. It's some sort of psychic camouflage, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that, um, you know, we still carry um, film cameras. I mean, all our cameras are Nikon DSLRs, and uh, we are, all our video is, is uh, Canon XR2s, uh, XL2s. But our our film cameras, they're Nikon film cameras. One's one's loaded with black and white, and the other one's loaded with color. And um, you know, they're set up when we set up. They're set up just like any other camera we have. Uh, only for the fact that white noise doesn't affect film. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, so if I'm going to be taking pictures of a site or a footprint or whatever it is, or uh, any type of evidence, I'll, I'll, I'll surely do the, you know, the, the digital, but at the same time, I will do the film, both color and black very and white, cool, because cool. There's, there are certain things that you'll see in a black and white photograph that you will not see in a digital photograph. 
and that's only because of the white noise or or uh, the setting on the camera because that's totally automatic. You know, where with the digital with the can with the uh, film camera, you got to set what you want and shoot at f eight or whatever, and uh, you can control the speed and all that stuff. But uh, when we, I know a lot of guys use trail cams, but when we went and got the trail, when we went to look at trail cams, what I wound up buying was security cameras. And um, they look like a trail cam. You can put them out in the weather. They're good for, they'll run for six months uh, on two, on four batteries, but they take a picture every second. So uh, they're totally silent. Um, they're infrared and they're thermal. And um, uh, it'll hold up to, a, I think, a 10 gig card. Um, I think mine all have four gig cards in them. But, um, you know, look, we can only be so smart because we're human. We have different thoughts, and some of us have some really crazy thoughts. But uh, technology is what's going to get these things. Sometimes, somewhere, uh, a Bigfoot. Now, look at all the Bigfoot guys now. All, all the guys yep. are out there working on Bigfoot. Most of them are carrying FLIR cameras. Yep, you got to carry the FLIR. The FLIR is, is, is the, the go-to when it comes to this. Something like that or a full-spectrum you know, works wonders because when you're shooting full spectrum, you get everything. It's, there's no yeah. filter there. Um, and that catches a lot of stuff. What I wanted, and I was working on a design for a while, working with a couple of buddies that, that deal with uh, electronic engineering. And I wanted to develop a camera that would shoot, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, infrared and then, uh, you know, uh, normal and black and white and, and a bunch of different um, yeah. variables to at one time. So now I have six different types of shots I can look at. It's the same shot, but taken with different perspectives. You know, mm-hmm. so I think you're right. Uh, technology is going to get them. Probably, um, you know, drone footage or ground penetrating radar, um, something to that effect. Now, we, we have a drone, but you know what? I, I have yet to use it only because, you know, I'm in the woods. So if the drone's up in the air, all I'm looking at is the treetops. <laughs> yep. And those the woods the woods are very thick and heavy, you know, in Pennsylvania. I mean, Pennsylvania's really got some really tough woods, and uh, you know, I'm not seeing anything. Um, but uh, to, to go back to how when when Ron was saying about you know, and you were saying also that these things could uh, Bigfoot versus uh, bipedal, vice versa. Right. When we did our first expedition, we were out for uh, a weekend. It was um, a full uh, moon. Uh, we were in an area where there was the largest deer herd in Pennsylvania. They have koi wolves. They have coyotes. They have everything that walks or crawls. Uh, they took a 800, I'm sorry, 600-pound black bear off the hill uh, the season prior to that. Uh, and uh, when I was talking to the park ranger the first day we were there, um, um, just asking him simple questions, and he was warning me about the koi wolves, and I said, oh, well, we're ready for them if they show up. And he said, yeah, if we see them, we shoot them. I said, well, we don't have any firearms, but, you know, we got something that we can scare them off with. He says, you just let me know. He said, I'll follow them, I'll get them. <laughs> and he stayed, he stayed on that track, and I said to him, I said, so one thing I noticed, we've been here now for about six hours. I said, it is stone quiet. And he stopped, and he's listening. He says, yeah, no, you're right. I said, I don't hear a bird. I don't hear anything. Nothing. It's dead silent. There's not a woodpecker. Or there's nothing running around. I said, is it normally this quiet? Well, he said, 
since last month, yeah, we've had days like that. And I'm going like, well, what's so different about last month? He said, well, there was some carrying on down at the swamp area. And I'm going like, uh, like what? <laughs> now, this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is where we have our first case. And uh, I'm actually standing about three quarters of a mile from where this actually took place. And um, he says, uh, he said about two o'clock in the morning, he was screaming, carrying on, howling like something was really pissed. And he said, I never heard anything like that. He said, I've been here 13 years. Well, now he's still there. So he's there like 17, 18 years now. He said, I've been here a long time. He said, I can tell you everything that's in this park, walking or crawling or flying or whatever. I never heard anything like that. He said, didn't sound like anything was wounded. It just sounded like something was really pissed off and loud, really loud. But he said, it came from the swamp area. I said, okay. I said, when did this happen? And he gives me a date. It's three days before our first sighting. Nice. That, that works. That whole weekend, whole weekend we were there. We saw not a bird. We saw nothing on the ground. We heard nothing, zero. We couldn't keep a fire going at night. The fire would go out. The wind, according to our weather station, which we had set up, uh, the weather station, uh, which is a NOAA weather station, uh, the wind, wind would change. It would blow from north to south and east to west. Nothing in between. Just that wow. way, north, south, east, west. That's strange. So when we got back, and I sent, I, I sent the SD card up to uh, Penn State to the to, to Noah, and asked them to look at it because the guy didn't believe me. He sent it back to me with a note. He said the only place this could happen was the Himalayas, the thermals. He said I'm assuming Clearfield County is not in the Himalayas. And I called him on the phone. Wow. I said, "You're a smart ass." <laughs> so, I mean, that's what we went. That's what we went through. So we had no sound for three days, a full moon. We got we got every animal you could think of crawling all over the place. We don't see anything. We went out at night with floor devices, thermal imaging, night vision. We saw nothing, zero, not and not a squirrel, not a bird, nada for three days, day and night. Couldn't keep the fire going. Plus, we had the wind changes. So, in that, my that, that, my well, in my minor little worky mind, <laughs> there was a an apex predator in the area. Oh yeah, and nobody was yeah. in, and nobody was talking. Well, it, it's unfortunately we're running out of time for the for this show, but I would definitely love to have you back, and we'll we'll definitely. Uh, we want to do it, you know, if you're going to be up the Bigfoot camping, we'll definitely do the interview up there with you. We'll do a little, you know, interview. If you're more than welcome to join us if we go out at night, which we're going to. Uh, <laughs> it would be nice to have some sidearms. Uh, <laughs> but, we have Woodchuck, so this could never be just one hour. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah un, un, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're you know, uh, Ron has uh, something he has to take care of called family, and I so do I <laughs> at this point. But, um, you know, what? I've always noticed that whenever you go on investigation, you don't hear a damn thing that you should in the woods. You should start yeah. getting a little, and stay frosty because they, they, these creatures know what you don't know and that there is an apex predator here and they're fearing for their lives, right? <laughs> yeah, and you're in your house. Oh, yeah. That's yeah right. You know, you're... That's you're, you're, you're <laughs> you know... Well, uh, that's why I don't. That's why I don't go in the ocean anymore. Because you, when you enter the ocean, you become part of the food chain. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you definitely you do. Uh, especially uh, down in the Jersey Shore now, with all the great whites. Yeah. So, Butch, where can our listeners find you? 
um, uh, uh, and get in contact with you if they have a, a where case can they you see you? That's yep. right. They can find me on uh, uh, our website page is euphorcop.com. That's U-F-O-R-C-O-P.com. Uh, Facebook under Butch Wachowski or UFO Research Center Pennsylvania or Euphorcop or Phantoms and Monsters 40 and Research or Phantoms and Monsters. Uh, if they need to get a hold of me, uh, go to the website. There's a thing here that says Terrestrial Contact. Just fill it out, leave a phone number or an email, what, what you want and what you need from me. And I, that gets checked. I have a computer that does nothing but check that every 15 minutes. So uh, I usually get back to people within a few hours. Um, anybody needs help or questions or needs anything off our database, uh, I'm sure I, I'll surely look it up for them. We don't charge anybody anything. Uh, if they got something going on, they need the van and some boots on the ground, just get a hold of me. Wow. Oh, yeah. And th- they will. Yeah, just two short months away before we're up at the uh, Benner's Run Campground again. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. This has been a fantastic show. I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and joining us tonight. And, you know, it's amazing stuff. It makes you think. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, it's that time. It is, and, and Butch, again, like I said, we'll, we'll have you back on again. Unfortunately, we're going to have to go in uh, our intervals, but if we have to do five or six shows with you, that's no problem for me whatsoever. But uh, uh, as for now, unfortunately, we're going to have to sign out for this episode of Inside the Goblin Universe. So to all you goblins out there, until next time, I'm Ron Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. And we'll see you inside the Goblin Universe, and we'll go down this rabbit hole once again. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hey, this is Brian Bowden. I want to extend a deep thanks to Purple Planet. You guys rock. Hey, everyone. I'm Kat Ward, host of Paranormal Heart, your monthly paranormal podcast. Join me the last Sunday of every month as I speak to people who share their paranormal experiences. You can follow me on Podbean, YouTube, TuneIn, iTunes, Spotify, and Paranormal Radio. If you're looking for a beautiful piece of stoneware pottery, check out Nodakian Studios at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Nodakian Studio. And also check her out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Nodakian Studios, where you can see updates as well as giveaways when they come available. Go check it out. There are spirits everywhere watching waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Somebody give me Brian Anderson.